Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Thankful for what I feel in this house. It's always just a beautiful feeling coming into this house. Been to many other churches, but there's something about walking in here, home, you know. There's a freedom, there's a more of a liberty here, and I'm just thankful that uh, that, that feeling's here. Thank you, uh, praise team. Um, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Genesis chapter 38. Thank you, Pastor Boyd, for allowing me the privilege to speak. So thankful, thankful my two grandsons are here tonight. I love them boys. Now they're the best kids ever. I'm telling you, they won't be spoiled brats. I'm going to tell you that now, not those two. Other people's kids, but not not our grandbabies. (laughs) Praise God, we do, we love them. And thankful they're here tonight. Genesis 38, starting with... Uh, verse 25, I'm getting into the middle of a story here, and I'm going to catch us up through it after I read these scriptures, but I'm coming in, this is Tamar, the story of Tamar and Judah. Uh, so starting at verse 25, it says, when she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, who was Judah, saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? That was his signet. Those, those possessions belonged to him. And so she brought them to him and said, These are his. And, and she said, Discern, I pray thee, who's the, or whose are these, the signet and bracelets and staff? And Judah acknowledged them and said, She hath been more righteous than I, because that I gave her not Shelah, my son, and he knew her again no more. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that the one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound upon his hand a scarlet thread, saying, This this came out first. And it came to pass as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharaoh's. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand. And his name was called Zerah. So the second son come out first. My title tonight is the last shall be first. The last shall be first. If you'll put your Bibles down and pray with me. 
Lord, help us tonight, God, receive your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the presence and meeting us here already tonight, God. The fragrance in this house, God. The aroma that's in here, Lord. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for coming into a place that's already stirred. Thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, waters that's already been heaped up for us, God. We are so we are a blessed people, God. And I ask you, God, to anoint me, Lord. Give me a mind to deliver your word tonight where we can hear it and receive it and understand it and let conviction and revelation spread through this house tonight. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. If you would clap your hands. Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated. Kinship. That's what we're going to talk a little bit tonight about. Kinship. Let's keep it in the family. Huh? Hey, keep that in the family, will you? I don't want everybody knowing that, so just keep that in the family. You know how family is. Sally is planning on breaking up with Joe next week. But keep that in the family. Don't tell nobody. I hope there's no Sally and Joe in here tonight. But if, <laughs> but if so, we're family. We won't tell us so what Joe's done. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can trust us. This is a family matter we're talking about here tonight. Lineage, inheritance. The last shall be first and the first shall be last is mentioned a few times or in, in uh, three of the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels. And there are several ways that this statement holds true. The most direct interpretation based on the content of the parables is that all baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, saints of God, no matter how long or how hard you've worked in this lifetime, will receive the same reward, eternal life. The thief on the cross whose life service was only for a moment received the same reward as did Peter. I'm not talking about the rewards that we receive once we're in heaven given for different services. I'm talking about the ultimate reward of eternal life. This parable can also be likened to the Gentile bride being last versus in Israel being first. And these two illustrations will be where we, we will hang tonight. By this unexpected interruption in Genesis 38 of the story of Joseph, Genesis keeps us in, in suspense. I mean, it's going one, one way and you're in, a, you're in a story and then all of a sudden chapter 38 just darts off out of nowhere. It goes completely out of context, you would think, to where you are. It tells of yet another twin birth in which the younger overtook the older. In many societies, ancient and modern, the custom of a, a Leverite marriage is unknown. What is a Leverite marriage? According to the law, or Old Testament, Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6, it reads, If brethren dwell together, if two brothers dwell together, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife. 
and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she bears shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. We've got to have an inheritance and we've got to have a link to it. The brother-in-law of a childless widow in the law of Moses was expected to marry her to produce children for his dead brother. In a society that is subject to disease and warfare at this time, it is not uncommon or was not uncommon to find widows. Ancient Israel dealt with this problem through the deliberate marriage to ensure an heir for the deceased husband and remarriage of young widows as soon as possible after the mourning period. Come on. you got to get over this and get married. You got, that's the only way you're going to survive. It really was the only way that they would survive. These, these widows would wear special garments which, was designated, which designated them as widows. Since a widow had no inheritance rights, special provisions were made for widows under the law allowing them to glean in harvested fields. Much like Gentiles have no inheritance rights, we were, extended, we were also extended special provisions according to Acts 2.38. I want to make sure every time that I hold the mic, that I remind my audience every time I hold the mic of the plan of salvation. Of Acts 2.38. Of hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Because if you don't understand that, if you don't grab that, then the rest is really irrelevant. You have to get those. You have to understand the salvation. You must connect with the understanding of who Jesus is. After Jacob was deceived by his sons about Joseph being dead, Judah moves to Adullam. He leaves his father's Jacob's tent and moves to Canaan. And he meets a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he marries her. The firstborn son was named Ur. And then she born a second whose name was Onan. And when she had a third son, she named him Shelah. When Er was of age, Judah arranged for him a wife. And in these ancient times, women were a commodity. They were to be sold, really, a tool to forge an alliance between two families or clans or even nations. They were a sacrifice for assured peace. Tamar was a young teenage girl, maybe 14. Young girls were prepared for this day since they were little girls, Moms would teach them and train them up that this is what's going to happen to you one day. Your dad will decide who you marry and you'll have to marry them. The wife or the girl's best hope was to be able to bear many sons. And if they were fortunate, if they, they were blessed, their husband would come to love them. But if not, their future could be secured through their sons. And when they were old, their sons could take care of them. Sometimes a woman's only satisfaction in those days was to be in the build up her husband's household. Tamar, in this area, in this time, if you was to go back to chapter 34, Tamar, what happened there, Tamar must have knew about that. She must have heard about that story, about Judah's, uh, was, was part of the brothers of Simeon and Levi who annihilated the town of Shechem over the rape of their sister Dinah, Leah's daughter. The sons of Jacob were brutal. 
At least those two by any way. Fierce and even evil men. Tamar must have been very intimidated when Judah came to take her. Judah and his, or his, his two brothers had the men of Shechem mutilated. The men of Shechem, if you can recall the story, they were desperate to bring an allegiance between them and the Hebrews. They wanted peace between the two tribes. The Shechemites had done all the Hebrews required. And still, three days after they were circumcised, Judah's brothers brutally murdered them. They weren't content with the death of the offender. Instead, they killed everyone there. Not one survived. You know, that's what the enemy does. It's going to take you out. The world isn't happy with just some of you. The world wants to consume you. Wants to leave nothing left. And it will. The world will leave nothing left. The world wants to trick you into believing there will be an allegiance between you and them. That there will be an inheritance for you. Just just do what we ask. Just follow the crowd. Just identify with us. Just the language these days. Just let us marry and we'll be happy with that. Huh? That's all. We'll, we'll, We'll draw the line there. But you see, once the line's been moved, you'll have to move it again. You'll have to keep moving it. Hollywood and politicians and the media promise you that you'll have an identity. That you can be anything you want. Whatever you want to be, you can just be that. If it aligns with them. If you, if you, if you step out of the circle, you have to believe their truth now. You, it's their truth. That's what truth is. And you can't step out of the circle. You can't, you can't just partake of some. You can't just believe most or some of their wokeness. You must be all in. No questions. And they say we're a cult. Come on. They say, they say why, we don't understand why you dress that way. We don't, why do you need to do all of that to be saved? Yet they totally line up with whatever's the new thing today. What's the number of today's genders? We don't know. It keeps changing every day. But I'm here to tell you about a God that never changes. He's a never changing God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we won't have to worry about waking up in the morning and worrying about where God is today. Because He's a never changing God. (laughs) He's still there. He's still the I Am. The world will consume every part of you. Then the world will annihilate you and then plunder what's left. But I'm here to tell you that our God has all authority. He has all power. And He is our kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. He is a consuming fire. And He will burn out all the confusion. He'll, He'll mend all the brokenness. Yes, He will. He can and He will restore your inheritance. That's the God we serve. You know how he, why He can? Because He's a full circle God. And He said the last shall be first. The last shall be first. So in other words, you're not too late. Hallelujah, you're not too late, but you're right on time. <laughs> you're right on time to get a hold of this. You're right on time to get a piece of the pie. Your cut is here at this altar. When He gets done with you, Hallelujah, when you give yourself to God, when He's done with you, you'll smell like Him. Hallelujah, you'll walk like Him. 
You'll talk like him. Nobody will have to tell you what to give up. You'll give it up freely because he's holy. We serve a holy God. We serve a holy God and the Holy Ghost will cleanse all unrighteousness in you. When you take his cup, you become holy. Holiness will consume you. It will become you. It'll be part of who you are. Not just how you dress, but how you talk. How you walk. You'll, be, you'll start bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You'll love people you never thought you would love. You'll forgive people you never thought possible. That's what the Holy Ghost can do. In Matthew 20, starting with verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers, into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, this is a nice householder. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And, and he went out about the sixth and ninth hour. And he did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle. And saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? What are you doing just standing here? There's hope. You don't have, you don't have to live this way. Don't, don't just stand here. Don't just sit here. I know a God that can change your life. Don't just stand here. Don't be idle. My dad always told me, when he was training me to teach me how to work, he said, boy, don't ever stand idle. And I'd be working with him. He'd tell me to go spot nails. And I'd do that, and I'd get done, and I'd just sit down. I probably only did that like twice maybe. And he'd come here, boy, what are you doing? I said, I'm finished. He said, don't ever, don't ever sit. Don't ever stand idle. I said, well, I did all you talk, told me to do. He said, well, if you don't know what else to do, then act like you're busy. Act like you're busy. Back to our scripture. They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. This figure of the vineyard represented the kingdom of heaven. It represented bringing souls out, out of the world. Going out there and grabbing them. Come on, you can get this. You're not too late. Come on in this. A master of a house goes out to hire laborers for his vineyard. The agreed upon wage is a denarius. I looked this up. I, I, I was impressed. It says a denarius is a Roman silver coin. It says it was worth about ten donkeys. I said, this guy, I want to work for him today. A little later during the third hour, he hires more workers. The master hires more workers in the sixth hour. Then in the ninth hour. And again at the eleventh hour. God, God suffers nobody to be lost. Huh. He don't want anybody to be lost. Wage is only discussed with the first group. The parable of the vineyard immediately follows Jesus' statement in Matthew 19 and 30. It said, many who, who are first will be last and the last first. Call the laborers. Call them. We need them. And give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. 
The Bible says the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would bring forth laborers into his harvest. There's nothing wrong with the harvest. The harvest is just fine. He just needs laborers to go into his harvest. The harvest is the last. And they shall be first. When you're coming into this, you're going to be first. Hallelujah. He needs laborers to share their inheritance with the last. Link them to this inheritance. He's looking for some to draw back their hand with that scarlet thread to reach back for those that are behind and bring them out of the womb of darkness. We've got to bring them out of wickedness and confusion. We've got to help them. We've got to disciple them, be with them. We can't just get them down here and pray them through and leave them. We have to walk with them. We've got to be available for them. Fellowship. Somebody mentioned that last night. Fellowship. They need it. They need it. Genesis 38, 6, back to the story. It says, And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. Tell him I'm not here. Ur dies with no children. He leaves no heir for his inheritance. When sin is done with you, there will be nothing left. There won't be no remains of you. Ur being Judah's firstborn son and his brother Onan by law must marry his widow so the child can receive the father's inheritance, Ur. But in this story, Onan is greedy and does not produce his seed because he he knows if if he holds out until his father Judah dies, he, Onan, will receive a larger portion. In this case, the three sons would have split the inheritance three ways. But Ur dies, and if Onan does not produce seed for his brother to Tamar, he will receive half and not a third. So his sin was pride, greed, and God killed him. We're not going to get into that. I'll just tell you that. You can read the story for yourself. You can't tell from this story which son was more treacherous, Ur or Onan. Tamar. Tamar being a type of the world. Tamar was left empty and abandoned. She had no link to the inheritance. She's forced to take matters into her own hand. When you find yourself in a corner, you're going to have to make a decision. You'll come to realize that you must decide about your next move. How did I get here? How did I end up in a pig pen? How am I being drugged before before Jesus as an adulterous woman in front of this crowd? Most likely with no clothes on. How did I get here? How am I walking to the well in the middle of the day by myself? How did this happen? Come on. I know I'm talking to some people here tonight that understands these Bible stories. They're not just stories. They're stories that you have lived through. Maybe not the exact story, but you can identify. That's what the world would do. They'll just leave you desolate, afflicted and broken and lonely. And if you stay there long enough, it'll leave you dead. How did I get here? How did I end up where I am? Tamar didn't deserve an inheritance. She was a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, who didn't belong in the lineage of Jesus. She didn't, she didn't let that stop her though. She didn't let that stop her. She decided that this 
wasn't going to, she was going to be the last. She wasn't going to be the last. She wasn't going to be left behind. That she was willing to do whatever it took to be saved. I'm not going to be left. I'm not going to be left in this world. That's why I'm not going to lay up treasure here. You're not leaving me. I'm not going to be last. I'm going to be first. I'm leaving all that behind. I'm going to get myself to an altar because I'm not going to leave here. I'm not going to let you leave here without me. Praise God. We've got to get a mind. We, you better get, we better get woke up real quick. We better become wokeness because Jesus is coming. The world is falling apart. Everybody can see that. We better get it together. In Romans 3.17, or I'm sorry, Ruth 3.17. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto my mother-in-law. That was Ruth talking about... uh, Boaz. One commentary says, says this, says, according to the law of Moses, Ruth was entitled to call upon the next of kin to fulfill the various responsibilities of a kinsman redeemer. This included getting her pregnant so that she could have a son in her late husband's name. And thus the line would continue. What she was asking Boaz to do was to fulfill his obligation as the kinsman redeemer. And by creeping softly to the resting place of Boaz, she was making a legal claim in the approved manner of that, of that time. And finally, she laid her down. Except for the request of Boaz to throw his skirt over her, her task was now complete. The rest was now all up to Boaz. We have to make steps. We have to get a made-up mind. Hallelujah, we got to do what we can do. We got to bring ourselves to the altar. Hallelujah, we got to bring it and let his skirt fall over us and just see what he's going to do about it. You must get to the threshing floor. You've got to get to the feet of the cross. You've got to make your claim. You must identify yourself as an unworthy servant of the Lord. I belong here. You, we've got to get a mind that, that, that believes that I belong here. I do, I belong here. I'm part of the, your creation. Hallelujah. You created me to serve you. I'm here at your feet. I'm here at your request. Hallelujah. You called. I responded. I'm here, Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm coming to make my claim. I'm coming to you. I'm bringing my letter to the altar. The the, the world says this. The doctor says this. But what saith the Lord? I'm bringing my brokenness to you, God. I'm bringing my affliction to you, God. What saith the Lord? What saith the Lord? Boaz gave Ruth six, not five, not four, but six. Six could have meaning here. The number six meets with the fullness of creation before rest comes on the seventh. Boaz is going to have his creation. Boaz was telling Ruth that she's, she was coming into the fullness of him. <laughs> Boaz is saying to her, I won't rest until I have the redemption. He says, because I am the kinsman redeemer. 
And I'm here to tell you we serve a God that's not going to rest until everybody has heard the word, until everybody has heard the gospel. I'm telling you, He loves us. He loves you. He's not worried about what you've done. You just come to Him. He is your kinsman redeemer. Christ's robe that they gambled over at the cross, they did so because this robe was connected to godly authority. The robe symbolizing the fullness of His authority. But, but they thought that it, authority, would be extended through the robe. It's not through the robe. <laughs> no, it's in the blood. It's kinsmen. You have to be kin to Him. Can you get that? You have to be kin to Him. You have to be family. You have to be family to get the inheritance. And then in the genealogy of Matthew is mentioned in verse 3 that Tamar is in that genealogy of Christ. However, not by Leverite marriage did Christ come become heir. But Tamar gave birth to a set of twins that came from the father, Judah. Her sons did not come through sons of Judah, but Judah himself. Like Jesus, <laughs> he didn't come through air, but was the incarnation of the Father. He is God in flesh. He came from the source. He is the source. He came unto his own and the world received him not. That in the dispensation of Christ, hallelujah, that in this dispensation of him, he might bring, bring all into the fullness of him, into the fullness of Christ. I'm here to tell you that you that you can come from the that you came from the Father. That there's an inheritance waiting for you. The enemy has lied to you and made you believe that you can't have this. I'm here to tell you the enemy's lying. That that this is only for special people. That 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 that's not like you. They they're they're different. They have it all together. I can't do that. There's no way I can serve God like that. But I'm telling you, tell you the devil is a lie. Grab hold of that scarlet thread and come forth from the womb of bondage and receive your inheritance. We're running out of time. The time of the Gentiles is almost up. Luke 21, 24 says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, Israel, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Our time is short. Our time is short. When the rapture takes place, the Bible says there will be two in the meal, one taken, one left. Two in the field, one taken, and one left. You're just going to be gone. That's it. Going to be driving down the road and all of a sudden you're just going to see cars start flying off the road, hitting one another, hitting trees. We're going to be gone. We're running out of time. I'm telling you that we are drafted into this. You will not get another chance after the rapture. God gave us a blueprint for escape and that's Acts 2.38. Music can come. You will not get another chance. God told Noah what he plans to do. And the entire world was destroyed. Only Noah's family was saved. 
one door built on the side. One way in, one way out when God opened the door. In simple but impressive words, the Bible describes this horrible catastrophe. No cries of despair are even mentioned. Think about that. Don't even record it. When God's done with you, He's done with you. I believe He just forgets you ever, He ever created you. Only one impression looms all mankind was utterly destroyed. The horror of those clinging to their huge rocks, fathers reaching for their children, people pounding on the door. I, I, I just, I guess when I was putting this together, I could just see it now. You know, the water starts rising up. It starts getting ankle deep. Now, they would never seen rain before. So when it started raining, they got scared. So when, they ankle, when the water gets ankle deep, I mean, they're pounding on that door. The, many commentaries believe that Noah, that a lot of people that died helped Noah build the ark. Whether that's true or not, I believe it's extremely possible and probably did happen. He would have needed help. So I, I would see them now, you know, hey, Noah, hey man, come on. It's Ralph. Come on, buddy. Come on, my sons work for you. Noah, my sons work for you. You remember me? Come on, Noah, I got a family. Open the door. Open the door. Let me in, Noah. Come on, it's getting deep out here. It's raining. <laughs> this is real. I've got children, Noah. But it was too late. It was too late. The door was not going to be open. The Bible says after the rapture that, that, that men's hearts will fail them. They will have heart attacks all over the world. The hospitals will have no room for people. There will be no peace, no, no love, no compassion. All that will be gone. The whole power of hell will be unleashed on this world. Think about that. You think it's bad now. Paul said the Holy Ghost is withholding that. Once the Holy Ghost is gone. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. You have only now to get ready. I'll ask you to stand. I don't want to. I don't want to have to scare people to the altar. I want a revelation to hit them. I want conviction to prick their hearts. But I have to, I have to pound on it. If I have to ride the fence a little bit, then I will. Because I want to do whatever it takes to make sure my children and the rest of my family are saved. I want to see them on walking on streets of gold. I want my grandchildren there. I want my kids there. I want my friends there. I want everybody in this building there. I want strangers there. Because hell's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Why don't we worship the Lord and love on Him right now? I invite you to this altar. I invite you to come down to this altar. You can be first tonight. You don't have to be last. You can give up your life right now and bring it to this altar and turn it over to God.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.